we did this just to see how much more we could crowd into this room. And I'll just move that over a little bit here. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. We're going to um, begin today a study in the book of Acts, and um, we'll take our time doing this. Now, as uh, go ahead and, and hand those out if you don't mind, thanks. We have a number of sheets that we're going to hand out. A couple of them are for uh, today's message and um, possibly tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's, yeah, <laughs> possibly uh, next Sunday. And the, the other one is for the duration. So the other one is a chart that will help you to see where we're at and where we're going in the book of Acts. So as those are being handed out, let me just begin. We are about to embark on a journey back in time to a period uh, which we call the first century, first century A.D., and there is a physician named Luke who writes to a, writes a story, really, to a, a person that we don't know very much about. And the story is about a bunch of nobodies who are introduced um, as frightened, trembling outcasts. And uh, that's where our story begins. So let's... I promise you I won't have this many papers each uh, each Sunday. Sometimes we'll have more. Okay, how about pens? Does anybody need a pen? Okay. Hey, Charlie, you got some pens out there? <laughs> he laughs at me. He laughs at me. All right, so let's, um, let's begin. The first thing on your sheet should be uh, the word background. So let's do a little background. And one of the things that we want you to do as we study through the, uh, the um, book of Acts is we want you to learn how to study the Bible. We're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes here. But one of the things that, it, uh, one of the important things in Bible study is to understand the background behind the book itself. Why was the book written? When was it written? Who wrote the book? All of these things matter when you're studying a book of the Bible. So this particular book, we're going to look at the background on it. It's uh, written by Luke, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. He's written it to a man named Theophilus. We don't know much about him. And it's he's writing the story, uh, as I mentioned, of a group of nobodies who are under self-imposed lockdown. Um, these are people who choose to follow the teachings of Jesus and ultimately turn the world upside down. It is actually a very remarkable story because 
in a period of about 32 years, these people, if you were to meet them on the street today, you wouldn't give them a second look. You wouldn't give them a second uh, hearing, really. They're almost just your common, average, everyday guy. And these men, filled with the Holy Spirit, had an impact in the world that was palpable not only in their generation, but affects us right through to this generation today. The reason we're sitting here today is because of the impact they had in their generation. So they not only affected the lives of people, they affected the outcome of nations, and all, not only, again, as I say, in their generation, but also for the last 2,000 years. You will not find an earlier church history anywhere, and this is the only one that is inspired, inspired of God. And it's a story of the infant church beginning with a handful of disciples meeting in an upper room in the year A.D. 30, and it moves forward as uh, to a, a burgeoning movement that spilled into the streets, into the workplace, into the marketplaces, into the halls of learning, into the imperial palace of Rome, and throughout the known world in 32 years. Let me ask you a question. Now, some of you can't answer this question, but some of you can. What have you done to impact your world in the last 32 years? What kind of an impact have you had in your life as a believer in the last 32 years? And that's what we're going to look at uh, in the study of the book of Acts. Okay, so we mentioned the author. The author is a physician named Luke. The author is actually God, and, and uh, Luke is simply the uh, writer that God moved along to write this account. But it is interesting as, as God works in the lives of individual writers of the Bible, he writes the very words that he wants written, but he keeps their writing style, he keeps their vocabulary, he keeps their interests, all part of the mix, and yet the very words that are written are his words, right down to the letter. It's great. And Luke, as a physician, um, you know, any doctor who is worth his salt is very meticulous, is very exact, very precise. And that's what we find uh, with Luke. He is very detailed, um, a stickler for details as he writes the book. But it's interesting, the book is not written as a historical text. It's not written as a history book, although it is that. It's written as a letter. We don't usually call it the letter of Luke, but that's what it is. It's a letter to a man, and we get to eavesdrop on the letter. It's kind of like looking over his shoulders, reading the history of the church. And it, it, and it reads like an unfolding drama. The interesting thing is that Luke is not just an observer of what happened, but he was actually a participant and uh, we see that in several passages in the book of Luke where he changes the uh, personal pronoun that he uses. Instead of saying them, they, um, he, she, he says we, including himself. And we see that in three specific passages in the book of Acts. Did I say Luke before? Book of Acts. Now, there's wide... <clears throat> let, me, let me say this to you, too. Um, as you study a book of the Bible... Um, one of the things that you look for is external evidence that verifies 
who the author was or who the writer of that book was. What external evidence? What does that mean, external evidence? Well, it's evidence that is not found in the book itself. What, what evidence do we have that, that Luke wrote this book of Acts? And then the other thing you look for is internal evidence. Are there indications within the book itself that tell us that, yeah, Luke is the writer of this? So we, there are two things. One is that <clears throat> if you uh, were to study the church fathers, the early church, and the things that they said about the book of Acts, you would find that over and over and over again, in fact, without exception, uh, everybody says that, that Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So that's good. That's good external evidence. Internal evidence, we don't have to look very far. In fact, all we have to do is go back to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, let's take a look at chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We have to read this first in order to get to uh, Acts. Guess who the author of the Gospel of Luke is? What do you think? God is the author, okay. And who did he use to write it? If it was the Gospel of... You got it. Luke. Okay, Luke is the writer. All right. Let's take a look at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So in a nutshell, Luke is saying there are other accounts of the life of Christ. And we have them in our Bible. Matthew. Mark, John. He said, those, those accounts have been written. But I have set out to write to you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing the Gospel of Luke to one person, Theophilus. And so he wants to tell him in a, in a short narrative of, you know, a number of chapters, what took place. He's an eyewitness. And he was able to, to give a firsthand account of the things that took place in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an excellent book. It's one of my favorite Gospels, if not the favorite Gospel to me. Everyone has their own, I'm sure. Then let's turn over to the opening paragraph in the book of Acts. And we learn that Luke also wrote this letter. Guess who he wrote it to? Theophilus. Okay? He, hadn't, he hadn't said enough in the Gospel of Luke. And so he wrote the, the uh, letter or the uh, Acts of the Apostles. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The former account I made. What was the former account? The Gospel of Luke. Very good. O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days, or during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is, Theophilus, remember the first account I wrote to you. It included everything in the life of Christ right up through his death, burial, his resurrection, and then his, um, you know, basically up to the ascension. And so that was the gospel of Luke. And now 
he is the writer of the book of Acts, and he's writing to the same person. Now, the other internal evidence that we have in the book of Acts is that we know that Luke traveled with Paul at times because of the way the story is told. And as I mentioned earlier, he changes the way he um, writes. Instead of saying they, them, he, she, he then says we. Um, and he says this in three different places. You might want to jot these down, and you can see for yourself uh, in your own study. In Acts chapter 16, verses 10 through 17... Don't have to turn there. Just write it down for future study. Acts chapter 20, verse 5, through chapter 21, verse 18. And then Acts chapter 27, verse 1, through 28, 16. All right. Next thing on your, on your sheet is the date of writing. When did Luke write this letter? Well, it's obvious, one thing is obvious, that he wrote the letter after the events took place. I think that's fair to say, because he's not a prophet. He doesn't claim to be a prophet. He's not talking about future events. He's talking about what happened. It's an account of what happened. So, that's a good start. We know that the book begins around 30 A.D., and I would say that it probably ends at about 62 or 63 A.D., and I'm going to give you my reasons for it as we go here. He was explaining the historical events that were taking place in the church. And he ends at a point when Paul is imprisoned for the first time in Rome. We know that that took place somewhere around 60 or 62 A.D. So there's a time period, 60 to 62 A.D., somewhere in there, Paul was imprisoned for the first time in Rome. And that's where the book ends. So we have to assume that it came after that, because he knew that much. There were major events that took place right after that, in 62, 63, 64, and so on, all the way up to 70 A.D. And um, let me tell you some of the things that took place. Now, if, if uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus about the history of the church and he were to ignore the major events that took place in that uh, eight-year window, I, I think as a, uh, as a writer, he missed a, a huge opportunity to really tell us some of the most significant things that took place in the church uh, during that period of time. What took place? Well, there were major events that took place that affected much of the Christian community. What took place? 64 A.D., you remember some guy who uh, fiddled? Nero? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the story anyway. That's, what, what, what happened when he was fiddling? Rome burned to the ground, okay? 64 A.D., we know that historically took place then. It's not mentioned in the book of Acts. The Jewish war with Rome took place in 66 to 70 A.D., Nothing is mentioned of that in the book of Acts. Peter and Paul were both martyred in the late 60s A.D., probably 67, 68 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood. Nothing is mentioned of that in the book of Acts. And then there was the destruction of Jerusalem. Surely that would have caught his attention. It's not mentioned 
in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, destruction of Jerusalem was? 70 A.D., wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So since Dr. Luke does not mention these events, and, he, and certainly he would not miss such crucial events in the history of the church, we have to safely say that they hadn't happened yet. So that places the writing of the book at approximately 62 A.D. or 63 A.D., somewhere in there, right before those major events took place. That's our, that's our educated guess there. Okay? Now, our, let's take a look at our study itself. And you've got some uh, handouts there. It's our purpose in the will of the Lord to uh, follow the story as it unfolds in the book of Acts. And for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to take, as it were, a bird's eye view over the entire book. And when you do a Bible study of any book of the Bible, it's important for, for any study to, to do a quick overview. Read the whole book through once, twice, three times, any a number of times you, you can, because the more you read it, the more you see the flow of the book the, the purpose of the book, and you begin to understand the content. So if you, if you were, well, well, we'll talk about it in a minute here. Um, so it's a bird's eye view, first of all. We're going to look at it from beginning to end, but we're not going to concentrate over the next few weeks on any specific details. That's going to come in our deeper study of the book itself. So here's what we want to do. Let's turn this on, and uh, we'll turn the lights off. I hope you can still see. Okay, it's not, not too dark or scary. All right, we already covered all this stuff, background author, dark data running our study. You've already got that there anyway. Okay, so our study, we're going to look, first of all, at how to study the Bible. That's one of the purposes um, that we have in going through the book of Acts. We want to give you the tools to be able to sit down with the Bible, any book of the Bible, and do a clear study on your own. You should be able to have the skill and the ability to study a book of the Bible and really come to an understanding of it. You'll never fully cover every detail of a book. We can't possibly do that. Only the Lord could give us that kind of information, and I'm sure we'll spend all of eternity doing that. But you should be able to grasp clearly the message of each book of the Bible. And it is really our responsibility as Christians to know this book to love this book, to believe this book, and to practice this book, okay? So we want to give you the tools as we go through to really see um, some of the tools that you might use or some of the ways you might study the book of Acts and, and other books for that matter so that you might be real solid Bible students yourself, okay? These are the words of what? Of God, okay. It's the word of God. It is truth. This book will save you from so many pitfalls, it's not even funny. But it won't if, you, if we don't put it in, if we don't take it in and really learn it and study it and, and uh, practice it. Okay, so study, how to study the Bible. So the first thing I want to say, and you can just put some notes in here. I don't have A, B, C, D and all that um, for each point, but let me just give you a couple of pointers here. The first thing, as I mentioned, is to look at the whole book, or to take a look at the book as a whole. And it's been said before that it's like taking an airplane ride or a helicopter ride over a forest. And if you take a helicopter ride and you go over uh, a national forest, you begin to see the whole layout of the land. How many of you now use uh, Google Earth or Microsoft World or whatever they call it? I forget all the names of them now. 
Uh, I, Rick, you probably developed all the software, did you? <laughs> but it, it's fascinating. You know, you can actually take a, a flying tour over your own house now on the computer. It's really cool. And, uh, and I've taken a look at the area where we live and panned back out. And I go, wow, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know this was there. I didn't know that was there. So even a, an overview should give you some insight into the Word of God that you never had before. You say, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that part. I didn't know that was there. And you begin to see the whole forest, if you will. Okay, That's the first step in Bible study. Look at the whole thing. The second is to look at the parts that make up the whole. So as you're flying over, you might say, you know what, I'd like to see that part of the forest and look at that section. There's a meadow there. There are some trees there. I want to take a look at those trees. So you start studying the trees. Then after that, you begin to study the uh, details that make up the parts. So as you get to a tree, you say, wow, this is a beautiful tree. I've never seen a tree like this. Uh, I come from uh, British Columbia. The second largest industry in British Columbia is forestry. It's really, really big up there. Um, and I used to enjoy going out into the forest and looking at the trees. And we have a beautiful tree called an arbutus tree. How many have ever seen an arbutus tree? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, spectacular tree. It's not huge, but it, it has, um, it's kind of like eucalyptus in a way that it, that it has a shiny bark to it or a shiny, uh, and it's very pretty. It's beautiful. It's kind of a reddish orange um, uh, trunk and branches and beautiful leaves. And the, and the way it's shaped is, is absolutely fascinating. That's the kind of Bible study we're talking about. You have a tree. And you begin to look at one tree or one part of the scripture. And you really begin to look at, you know, the, the uh, arbutus tree's trunk and its branches and its leaves. Okay? You look at a book of the Bible and you look at a chapter and you look at the verses and you begin to pull apart even the verses and you say, well, here's a word. And you know, some people spend hours and hours studying just a single word in a single verse. And tracing that word, and they come away and they say, wow, was that ever a blessing from God? I never knew that was there. There are nuggets in the scripture that cannot be had unless you mine for them. You just cannot get them unless you mine for them. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Fourth, we want to see how the details affect me. There's no good Bible study that uh, you can have that doesn't somehow impact your life. Okay, If you come to the word of God and you study it like a piece of literature. You can do that, but that's not what it was meant for. Why did God write this? Can you think of any verse? What's the word? Yeah. Correction? That's exactly right. Okay. This book was meant to impact our lives. Not only to give us good doctrine, you have to have that, but to impact our lives as well, to correct us, to say, well, you know what, I see what it says, and I'm not living that way. I see what God has planned for my life, and I've ignored it. I see that I'm not living the way I should live. Lord, I want to go to that passage of Scripture that I've worn out. I confess my sins to you and ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And he does that. It's meant to impact our lives and change us from the inside out. Okay, that's what we want to do. We want to study the Bible. Next, 
the study in the book of Acts in particular is going to be a chronological study. A chronological study simply means that you start at the beginning and you work through to the end. Um, you start... Now, as we go through the study of the book of Acts, we are also going to do something that some of you have done before, but let me explain to you um, how we're going to approach the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, in fact, an account of the history of the early church. So there are events that take place in the book of Acts. And as these events unfold, the church is growing, and it's growing beyond the borders of Jerusalem. It's growing to the far reaches of the known world at that time. And as churches are established, problems come up. There are issues in the church. There are, there are um, things that need to be dealt with. And the apostle sits down, uh, um, Paul in particular, sits down and writes letters to the churches to correct abuses in the church and to encourage the saints in their growth and their, and their walk with the Lord. Now, as you study the book of Acts, you're going to see that we're going to follow a historical line beginning at A.D. 30. And as we go through and we study and we study and we study, we're going to come to a point where one of these letters is written. And so we're going to stop right there in our study of the book of Acts and we're going to go to that epistle, that book that was written to one of the churches, because you'll then see that epistle in its historical context. You'll say, okay, now I get it. This is what was happening in the church at that time. This is why the letter was written. This is why it was important for them to know these things at this time. And so we're going to take a look and we'll stop and we're going to do a survey of that particular letter. So one of the first letters we come to is the book of James. James writes a letter to the church. And we're going to stop right there and say, okay, why did he write it? What was happening? What does that book say to us? And in maybe a week or two, we'll do a quick overview of the main parts of uh, that particular book, the book of James, for example. And then, after that quick overview, we're going to go back to the book of Acts where we left off, and we're going to go through until we get to another letter. And then we'll do the same thing. And we'll repeat that until we've gone through the New Testament. Okay? Now, it's not going to be a verse-by-verse study of the New Testament. It will be verse-by-verse through the book of Acts. But what we're hoping to do is to really whet your appetite to desire to study those books that we do a survey of. Okay? So if we do James, you go, wow, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. <laughs> and you really get into that book, great. So you're, you're having a Bible study on your own there. That's great. And you're really digging in and saying, I want to know more about this. And that's our whole desire, is that you might really be students of the Word of God. All right. Third reason that we're going to study this way is to give you an opportunity for ministry. Now, here's where I want you to really pay attention. Okay? There are young men in our assembly, and as we know now from uh, Howard's, from the last couple of weeks of Howard's um, comments, um, he's still young. So, <laughs> that's good. So, there are men in the assembly who have not had an opportunity to preach or to teach um, to the entire congregation. And we want to give as many as are willing to, to dig into the Scripture and to study the Scripture and to do a book survey. Uh, so let's go back to our chron- chron- 
chronological study. We're, we're chugging along through the book of Acts. We come to the book of James. And you say, you know what? I would love to do a study of that book and in one or two weeks be able to present to the whole congregation a complete survey of the book of James with all the salient points of the book and make a practical application of the study to the, to the saints as well. Now, if you're a young man here, so I think young is what, under 100, something like that, um, and, and you believe that God would have you participate in this way, then I want you to come and talk to me, and we want to take a look at what you might be able to do and how you might be able to do it. And we will give you as much help as you need, but we want you to become students of the Word. Okay, so think about it, pray about it. Uh, it includes, let me think. Oh yeah, anything after the Book of Acts, okay? Because we're going to go through the whole New Testament. There are a lot of books, a lot of opportunities, but here's the here's the here's the deal. I want you to be convinced that God wants you to do a particular book, okay? I want you to be able to spend the time that is necessary so that you might become as it were, a master of that book, okay? And what I mean by that is that you might dig in and do the study. I don't want you to do a Saturday night special and say, let's see what I can pull, pull out of the hat and uh, give to the congregation. So we're talking about something that might be weeks, months even from now. Now is the time to start studying the book, okay? Especially some of the larger books like Corinthians. They're a little more complicated than some of the, uh, some of the uh, epistles. So... Pray about it, and if you want to participate in that, I want you to come and talk to me about that. Uh, here's an opportunity. I, probably today in ICT, I wasn't there, but in ICT they went over spiritual gifts. One of the things that we always say about spiritual gifts is, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, you, you put it into practice. You, you try. You, you make an attempt to do the things that God says are spiritual gifts, if that means evangelism, if it means teaching, if it means uh, helps. You don't sit around waiting for the Lord to drop a sign in front of you saying, you have the gift of helps. You just roll up your sleeve and you help. And you may find that that, that, that really is your gift. But here's an opportunity for you to also participate in teaching and see if that might be your gift as well. Okay? So pray about it. Talk to me about it as well. All right. And uh, finally, uh, number four here is an opportunity for all to dig into God's Word and really study it for yourselves. Learn to outline, learn to fill in the details so that you will know how to handle the Word of God and study it for yourself because we want everyone here, without exception, to be strong in the Word of God. All right, now, we're going to throw it into high gear here. Page number two for you. Charlie, can I get you to just press this down for me as we go? Okay. <clears throat> Some of you are not familiar with the, with the Bible and the parts of the Bible and things, the events in the Bible. So for some of you, this is going to be quite elementary, but for others, it'll be new. And that's okay. Um, we want to do a quick overview of human history, not, not in any kind of detail at all. This is just simply going to be a quick, quick overview of where we came from up to the time we come to the book of Acts. So the background study goes all the way back to the beginning of time. It goes back to creation itself. 
creation. Let me just say this to you. What you hear in school, what you hear on and see on TV about the billions and billions of years um, and the primordial soup that we came out of and all the rest of it, it's a lie. And it's a lie right out of the pit of hell. It's very simple. God says what happened. He was the only one who was there apart from the angels, and they haven't talked to us. And he told us what happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created us. And that's what the Bible says. We believe in the creation by God. He tells us that he created us in the beginning. And so by our best estimates, I would say that we're probably somewhere around 4,000 B.C. I can't possibly see how it could be much longer than that. So we're about 6,000 years from the starting point of the creation of the world and uh, mankind. When we were created, we were created without sin. God did not create us as sinners. He created us uh, in his image, in his likeness. We were without sin. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, they sinned. And they plunged not only themselves into sin, but the whole world into sin. So everybody who came from Adam was born and is born a sinner. We are born in sin. The Bible says that we are born dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And what that means, don't complicate things in the scripture. Many people complicate that verse. It's very simple. When the Bible says that we are born dead, it, it simply means this, that we were born in a condition where we were separate from God. We had physical life, but we did not have spiritual life. We were not in a right relationship with God. We were born as his enemies, if you will, okay, separate from God. And we are born that way. There is a barrier right from the get-go between God and us. We caused the problem. God didn't. And that barrier is sin. We also know from the Bible that the wages of sin is death. And so we are out there sinning daily, and it's like our work. That's what we do for a living. We sin. And as we sin, we are earning wages, and those wages are coming to us. We earn them. We deserve them. It's death. Death not only physically, but ultimately spiritual separation from God for all eternity in the lake of fire. That's called the second death. That is where where those who... Uh, die without knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, uh, they are spiritually dead and they, they will also experience uh, the second death, the lake of fire. The history of man demonstrates that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the, and the Bible says that, it confirms that. Now it is also true that God loves us and it is also true that God right from the Genesis account tells us that he is going to send a deliverer. He is going to send someone to deliver us, someone to crush Satan's head, is is the promise that he made um, in uh, Genesis. All right, let's go down to the next next key character or key event. And we go all the way up to the person of Abraham. Abraham was also born into sin. In fact, he was born uh, into an idolatrous family, and he was a, a sinner through and through. For whatever reason, I can't tell you why God did this, apart from his grace, he simply said, reached down and he picked Abraham out of a crowd of sinners and said, I'm going to bless you. 
There's no good reason for it apart from his grace. He just chose Abraham and promised that he was going to bless him. That sinner, Abraham, was promised that through him um, and through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was quite a promise from God to a sinner. One night, he said to Abraham, Abraham, come on out here. I want to show you the stars. He says, you see the stars? Yeah. Your descendants will come after you, and there will be as many descendants as, as there are stars that you can see. And it simply says this. This was the promise that God made, okay, to Abraham. And it says this about Abraham when he saw that. He said, it says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Just because Abraham believed God's promise, God declared Abraham righteous. Wow. And so we have a little clue in this passage of Scripture that the way God is going to declare people righteous is by faith. Faith in God, faith in the promises of God, or faith in something that God is going to do. We'll look at that as we go through the uh, book of Acts. So, Abraham believed God's promise. What must we believe to be saved? We'll look at that. So then Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And uh, the 12 boys became the heads of 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's other name, of course, was Israel. And uh, they became the heads of 12 tribes of Israel. So then we come to the nation of Israel. Because of God's promise to Abraham, God chose Abraham and the nation of Israel that came out of him to be his special earthly people. He made promises to them that he has not withdrawn. He made promises of blessing, of land, and of a deliverer, the Messiah, who would come through the nation of Israel. The nation grew. And God taught them many things about Himself, His character, His holiness, that blood must be shed to atone for sin, and so on. And all through the history of Israel, salvation was on the same basis as Abraham received salvation. It was by faith, totally apart from works. Now, did Israel get that? No, they really didn't. Okay, they didn't get that. Some did. There, were, there was a remnant, some who did believe, but they really didn't get it. By faith. Faith, believing in God's God and His Word. Okay, next we come to... Maybe you want to lift the whole sheet up, so... Thanks. Jesus Christ. At, the Bible tells us at just the right time, God sent His Son into the world, born into a Jewish family. Jesus Christ. God's promise of sending the Messiah th- through the nation of Israel was fulfilled. Now, as we study the book, the Gospels, we see very clearly that Jesus Christ is God, that He came and that He came to save us from our sins. God became a man, lived a perfect life without sin. He had no sin in Him. He knew no sin. He did no sin. In Him there was no sin. The Bible tells us that He died on the cross. And we know from the Scripture that He died for our sin, not for sins that He had committed Himself. He committed none. But He died on our, in our place on the cross. He was buried. 
and he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. The Bible tells us, too, that we can have our sins forgiven. We can be declared righteous. We can be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, salvation has always been by faith. It's still by faith. Faith in, now, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His salvation not only saves us from the penalty of sin, we will not be, uh, we will not suffer the uh, second death, eternal separation from God for all eternity in the lake of fire. We will not suffer that, those who, those who know Him. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but He also saves us from the power of sin controlling us on a day-to-day basis. And ultimately, He will save us from the very presence of sin. He has promised us that He will come again to receive us to Himself, that where He is, there we may be also. But He hasn't done that yet. We're still sitting here in Fremont. And God has a purpose in leaving us here. He could have, if He wanted to, He could have said, all right, the moment someone has faith in me and trusts me as Lord and Savior, I'm going to just go zap and take him right off the face of the earth, right to heaven. He could have done that. He has the power to do that. But that's not his plan and that's not his purpose. Instead, he leaves us on earth to accomplish his purposes on earth. Do you know that the Bible says that we are not saved by works, lest any man should boast? But it also says, just in the verse following, that we are saved for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so god has a plan for your life and i will tell you right now that i know what it is you say what i don't okay i'll tell you what it is i'll give you a secret let you in on it it has something to do with the church okay god's plan and his purposes for your life have to do with the church and your participation in it not your attendance at the meetings, but, but your exercise of your spiritual gift that God has given to you for the building up of the whole body to praise God. Okay? That's the purpose that He saved you and the purpose why He leaves you here on earth today. He has a plan for your life and it has to do with the church. Primarily the local church, but it can also spill out to the church um, universal. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. Okay, we accomplish His purposes through His church. Okay, what is the church? Well, Jesus said when He was on earth in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew sixteen eighteen. I will build My church. He is not talking about the addition that we, we're planning next door here. Okay? That's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about buildings. Quite honestly, as I read the scriptures, I'm not sure that the Lord is all that enamored with buildings, you know? But they're functional, so that's okay. But that's not what he's talking about when he says, I will build my church. He's talking about people. The church is not a building. The church is not a temple. The church is made up of people, and the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God resides or dwells in us. Now, the church had a beginning, and it also has an ending. The beginning is when? Pentecost. The end of the church is when? The rapture. Thank you. Okay, you got the two points. The beginning is the rapture, uh, the, the, is Pentecost. The end is the rapture. 
Now, the word church has two general meanings. The, first of all, we talk, when we talk about the church, we sometimes mix, um, mix our meanings in it. So I want to just define it a little bit more carefully. First of all, there is the universal church. The universal church is made up of every single believer who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord from the time of Pentecost all the way through to the rapture. So the universal church is made up of believers who are now dead all the way through to believers who are still to come up until the rapture. That's the universal church, okay? All true believers. Now, we also talk about the church as the local church. It is the local expression of, of the church in a city or in a community. So when we say Calvary Bible Chapel, we're talking about a local congregation, a local body of believers that should be representative of the universal church. Okay. Now, another point. <clears throat> a church does not have a priesthood. We do have a high priest, but he's not physically present with us, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible also says of him that he is the head of the church. The church is called his body. There is no hierarchy in, um, as was in the temple. We have Jesus Christ as the head. He's also called the chief shepherd. Now, the Bible also tells us that we do have elders, plural, deacons, plural, and saints, plural. Okay? When, when uh, Paul wrote to the, the Philippian believers, he wrote to those three groups of people in that local congregation. And so we see that we have the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We have a plurality of elders, more than one, that are responsible for the shepherding or the care of the local congregation. We have deacons, as we'll see in the book of Acts, that's really where we first see them, who participate in the practical care of the saints and, and the uh, local body of believers. And then we have the saints who are exercising their spiritual gift and benefiting the whole body or building up the whole body. That is the purpose of every believer. Do you know that? It's to build up the body. There should be no believer in any way that tears down the, uh, the church, the local body of believers. Now, there are some distinctions, and, and we, it's, we need to be careful <clears throat> because there are, there are teachers and uh, preachers who mix these things up. Um, the church is not Israel. Okay? We did not become Israel. We did not inherit the blessings of Israel. We are not looking for land over there in the Middle East and the, and, and the territory that God promised to Abraham. That's not, it has nothing to do with the church. That is to do with Israel and the promises that were made to God's earthly people. We are not God's earthly people. We are God's heavenly people. Okay? We are the church. They are distinct. And you have to be very careful in your study of the scriptures to keep Israel and the church distinct. Okay? Um, secondly, we are not under law. They were. We are not under the law. The law has nothing to do with the church. Okay? The Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty for the broken law. And uh, we are under grace. There were special holy days that were important for Israel that they would have to meet at certain occasions and do certain things and, and all this sort of thing. That is not true of the church. In fact, every day should be holy to the Lord. Okay? Some people say, well, Sunday is, is our Sabbath. No, it's not. Every day 
should be holy to the Lord. And we should live in light of that, that we are living to as unto the Lord. Okay, number six, um, what Jesus taught about the church. A couple of things real quick. He said, I will build my church. It's his church, and he's in the business of building it. What does that mean? He is, as we're going to see in our study in the book of Acts, not only does he add to the church such as should be saved, but as we see the church going through trials and difficulties, on the flip side of those trials and difficulties, the Lord multiplies the church. He multiplies the numbers within the, uh, the uh, church, those who are being saved. Jesus also taught uh, in several places that he could not stay on earth. That was not the Father's purpose or his plan, his will. Jesus Christ was going to go to heaven. He is preparing a place for us right now. And he would send a comforter. He would send the Holy Spirit who would come and dwell in us. And that's what we see uh, um, him, him, him saying in Luke chapter 24. Then if you want to take a look quickly at Matthew 28, I want to show you another thing that he said. Matthew chapter 28. We'll begin reading in verse 18. This is often called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them. He's talking to his disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even, <coughs> even to the end of the age. This command that he gave, it's clear from this passage that not only did he give it to the 11 disciples who were standing there, but he gave it to us because the promise comes all the way through to the end of the age where we are today. And so his promise is that he will be with us right through to the end of the age. Now turn over to the book of Acts. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a um, a method to how he wants this done. Math, or Acts chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 4. Um, you know what? I have the wrong passage. Uh. Oh, thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah, I was going to read from verse 4 anyway. Okay, whatever. Let's just go right to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we see the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, the um, let's take a look at a study now in the book of Acts. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to split over now to your chart. We've got just a couple of minutes and we're going to do, put a couple of things on your chart. All right. All right. For those who want to fill out the rest of your outline, let me just say it this way. Let's take a look real quick here. Most of the rest of what we're going to be talking about on your sheets here, you've got the book of Acts. We look at the chart 
how the church grows in the book of Acts. We're going to see the chart. We have other books of the New Testament in chronological order. We're going to show you where they fit in the book of Acts. And then the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, in particular, he's one of the prime characters, although not the only one. Okay? I'll let you take a minute just to fill that out real quick. Okay? Um, I can put this up at the end again if you like. So you can always, we can always fill that in again. So let's take a look real quick here at how our chart looks, okay? Oops. All right. In the uh, top section of your, this may be hard to read for some of you, so let me just say it to you. We have a date range here from 30 to 33 A.D. It's the first section of the book of Acts covers a period of about three years. And then the next section covers about 14 years from 33 to 47 A.D. And then third, we have from 48 to 60 A.D. There's about a 13-year period. Now, we want to take a look at what happens uh, during this period of time. So let me... Don't worry about all this stuff right now. I'll just cover that. That's to come. And don't worry about all these little date numbers in here. We'll fill those out as we go. Here are a couple of things that I want you to note, and then we're going to end with this. In the study of the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus has just told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, starting in Jerusalem then Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, as we study the book of Acts, we'll see very interestingly that the book can be actually divided into those three areas. At first, the first three years, they're concentrating their efforts in the city of Jerusalem. And they're quite content to stay there, thank you very much. And God has to to create events in history to shake them loose of of their stronghold in Jerusalem and to scatter them into the uh, far reaches. And that's what he does. And then you see a movement into Judea and Samaria. In the first section, they're, they're concentrating the gospel primarily to the Jews. And Peter is kind of the key character at, the, at this point. And his message going out to the Jews who are in Jerusalem. Then you see them going out into Judea and Samaria. The Samaritans are coming to know the Lord. And we see Philip, Barnabas, Peter, and Paul are beginning to be characters that come into play in the book of Acts. And then finally, the gospel goes out to the end of the earth. We see that the Gentiles can also be saved and are being saved. And really, the whole focus is really more toward the Gentiles in the later part of the book of Acts. And Paul, along with some of his traveling companions, are really the key characters at that point in history. So I know we've given you, we've dumped a lot of information on you all at once, but that was the bird's eye view, okay? We'll start looking and picking apart some of the details as we go over the next few weeks. And then once we get past the introduction and the overview of the, of the uh, book of Acts, this was the forest look today, okay? Next week we'll start looking at some of the trees. And then 
after we've finished looking at some of the trees, we're going to start doing a verse-by-verse study and start looking at the individual parts of the book of Acts so that you really get a handle on what the book is all about. We're going to end without a closing hymn today. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for the fact that you have promised to build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you that you have made us members of your church, the body, and that we are participants in the work that you're doing. We pray, Lord, that we might know and exercise the spiritual gifts that you've given to us, that we might be ones who are building up the body um, and praising you and thanking you for all that you've done and are doing. We pray, Lord, that we might, through this study, really be diligent students of your word. And, Lord, that you might work in the lives and the hearts of every single one who is a believer here to really be a student of the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.